0: Our reading today is from the book of Matthew, chapter five, verses one through 12. You may locate these texts in your pew Bible on page 880. Now first, let us pray. Holy God, in this moment, we pause and we gather around your word. Free us from every distraction that we might focus and listen. Help us hear what it is you need us to hear. Amen. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever.
1: So tomorrow... Tomorrow's the day the nation has set aside to recognize the birthday of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Mindful of that, we'll conclude our service today singing the hymn, Lift Every Voice and Sing. When we sing songs like that, it's important for us to remember that they're not our songs. They they have come from communities of oppression, communities that have fought against the realities of racism in our own world. And so as we sing them, we sing them sort of standing behind those who sang them first as an act of solidarity, but with a humility recognizing that it speaks a story that is not ours, but it is a story we need to know. It's been 90 years since Dr. King was born in Atlanta, and it's been just over 50 years since he was assassinated in Memphis. Enough time has passed for this country to have progressed more than we have in matters of treating all citizens as Americans. More often than not, it's, it's common to hear folks, while claiming to love America, speak ill or in hateful ways about Americans. I don't think you can love America without loving Americans. And tomorrow, on the day recognizing his birth, there will be Second Amendment zealots and white supremacists and folks with more than a little anti-government sentiment. They will march in Richmond, Virginia, some of them speaking of a new civil war with romantic terms. And it happens in the name of freedom, they say, but it seems to me to be an understanding of freedom that celebrates not our being united in any way, not our being Americans together in any way, but rather a celebration of what David Brooks has called hyper-individualism. It's a sense that I can only be free if I have no obligation to you, my neighbor if I have no commitment to anyone other than myself, which doesn't align at all with our Lord who said, we're not alive unless we love our neighbor. So it's a confusing time. Confusing in part because it's not completely evident. What what can we do to bring healing to a nation that celebrates division and communities that thrive on division and and even more confusing is why is that division so attractive? Why is it that so much public speech is belittling and hate-filled and condescending toward others? It, It makes us all look small What do you think will happen if we continue to attack, not only each other, but the institutions, the platforms, those places that serve as tendons, ligaments, that hold together the social fabric of community? It's a confusing time. It's hard to know what to do. And in times like this, they're not new. In times like this, people need a teacher. We need someone to show us the way. So we turn today, we turn the page this week to Matthew's gospel. We journeyed with Mark last week, and Matthew is very similar to Mark. In matter of fact, when Matthew sits down to write his gospel, he clearly has a copy of Mark on his desk. Mark was written about 15, 20 years before Matthew, and Matthew loves Mark. As a matter of fact, he cut and paste about 90% of Mark into his gospel, word for word most of it, so much so that it makes you wonder, why did Matthew feel like it needed to be rewritten? He loves Mark as much as anybody. Why did he have to rewrite it? Well, Matthew had some things to add. For example, last week, last week we read that it's Mark that tells us Jesus went into the wilderness and was tempted by Satan 40 days and nights. Matthew tells us what their conversation was. Turn this stone into bread. You don't live by bread alone, Jesus responds. While Mark tells us nothing of Jesus' birth, it's Matthew who tells us his name is Emmanuel. Matthew alone knows of the visit of those mysterious magi. And Matthew knows some of the best stories of Jesus that only Matthew tells us, like the weeds and the wheat. I love that story, the weeds and the wheat. Or, Or the merchant who spent his whole life searching for that pearl of great price and finally finds it. Or one of Matthew's favorite, the parable of the sheep and the goats. It's Matthew's favorite. makes me a little nervous, but it's Matthew's favorite. Whoever does it unto the least of these. And if on Easter Sunday, if Mark leaves us a little anxious, wondering if those women are ever going to say anything to anybody, it's Matthew that tells us that Jesus gathered his own on the mountaintop and told them to go into all nations making disciples. Matthew is the only one to tell us that. So clearly, Matthew rewrites Mark in part because he's got some things to add, but it's deeper than that. The truth is, Matthew actually understands Jesus a little differently than Mark. If Mark is the one who believes Jesus enters the wilderness of our lives to give us glimpses of God's promised day, if you ask Matthew to talk about Jesus, He's going to tell you that Jesus is a teacher. In Matthew, Jesus is teaching all the time. So one of my favorite novels is John Irving's A Prayer for Owen Meany. In the first sentence of that novel, we learn that little Owen Meany has a strange voice. In the first sentence, it's called a wrecked voice voice. It's just another time it's described as a cartoon voice. Most people hate his voice. They find it grating, and I don't know what it really sounds like. It's just a novel, but, but I think his voice is weird not only because of its sound, but also because, as his friend Johnny said, he spoke with a frankness. You found... Almost impossible not to trust. Johnny said over time he learned to apprentice himself to Owen's cartoon voice because it was more, it was wiser than any other voice in his life. So I wonder, I wonder if it had the language, if... If some in Jesus' day might have said he had a cartoon voice, Uh, not because of his tone, I assume he speaks in normal tone, whatever that is, but he spoke with a frankness you couldn't help but trust. And Jesus saw the world differently than even the wisest of his day or the wisest of our day. And Matthew believes that we should apprentice ourselves to his cartoon voice. I say his voice is trustworthy, but but it also stands at odds with some of the basic assumptions we have of what it is to be human. Uh, We just heard it. It was just read to us. Jesus said, let me tell you who's really blessed in this world. The poor in spirit the meek those whose hearts are broken the persecuted this you will not find in a Hallmark card this is not the wisdom you will find uh, around a dining table with your friends what is Jesus talking about that this is what's blessed the poor in spirit His voice pokes a hole in the assumptions we have that that those who are really blessed are those who appear to have it put together and are self-made. Because what they miss is how much they depend on those around them and on God. And the meek, they're blessed because they don't think the world is their oyster, actually. No, they walk through life with a humble spirit that gives them a peace that no one can steal. And those who are grief-stricken, whose hearts are broken, well, you only grieve if you give your heart away. And he says, unless you risk love, deep and generous love, you're never really alive. And the persecuted, they know that there comes a day when there is a good that is so important that you would sacrifice anything rather than give up on it. That's what he taught. Matthew knew that there would be confusing days. There were, in, there were for his congregation and he knew that would be for the rest of us. And we struggle to know what it is and how it is to be so we'll need a teacher someone who can show us the way and, and matthew says that jesus is that teacher for him for his congregation for us now to, to fully get it we, we need to we need to know this in, in matthew's day there was a cultural assumption that is far less popular in our own time in matthew's day it was just assumed It was just assumed, if you wanted to be a grown-up, if you wanted to to live a good life, a faithful life, if that's what you wanted, you weren't going to be able to figure that out on your own. You're you're not going to be able to build that kind of life on your own. You're going to need some teachers. You're going to need someone to show you what that kind of life is. And that's the catch. To be a teacher in Matthew's day was not to be one who could give you information. It was not someone who was wise and to, could describe eloquently what a good life would be. No, a teacher in Matthew's day was one who at least in big parts could show you what a good life is would be, could model and inspire for you what faithfulness looks like, to live as an example. And Jesus, and Matthew says, Jesus is the best teacher we have ever known. So tomorrow is recognized as Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And I think we we know him because he agreed with Matthew that Jesus is that kind of teacher. And he didn't just talk about it. He was one who tried to show us what it looks like when love is trusted, even in the face of violence and belittlement and hatred. But love is what love looks like when it's lived in the large community. we love our neighbor. if we treat citizens as citizens. he was a teacher of that, but he was also a prophet, and, and, and King said that the biggest challenges, the biggest threats to the beloved community that 's what he called it, the beloved community was was not really those who were dead set on trying to destroy it. No, the bigger problem were those who knew the good, those who knew what was just, but failed to choose it, failed to trust it, set it aside for whatever reason. Those who said, it's not time yet for the good. Let's wait until tomorrow. I appreciate that insight. You know, I look around and it seems to me there are a lot of folks in and out of churches who talk a lot about Jesus, but don't look like him much at all. Now, of course, that's true for all of us, but it seems extreme these days. Matthew said, even in confusing times, it's not just talking, it's choosing. It's trusting that odd voice to be our teacher, to show us who we are to be. And so I think what Matthew encourages, he says, apprentice yourself to this voice. In other words, do what's yours to do. In confusing times when it seems too much for us to be able to hold it all together do what is yours to do and let God make of that what God will in May of 1862 as smoke was clearing the Civil War battlefield outside of Williamsburg Virginia Reverend Joseph Twitchell, an army chaplain, he ventured out onto the battlefield to see if there were wounded soldiers that he could pray with. He stumbled across an injured and terrified 19-year-old soldier who was bleeding to death in a ditch. His name was William Moffat Greer. Reverend Twitchell lifted Greer from that ditch and carried him back to a surgeon's tent where, somewhat miraculously, the surgeon saved his life. When Greer was strong enough to travel, Reverend Twitchell collected money to pay for his trip back home to his relieved parents. Twitchell was a graduate of Yale College. He was a chaplain in the Union Army. Greer was from South Carolina and had been a soldier in the Confederate troops. Greer, inspired by the compassion he witnessed in this Union chaplain, Greer became a minister himself when the war ended. They stayed in contact with each other throughout all of their lives joined together by this act of compassion in the midst of the horrors of the civil war they maintained a friendship that modeled the healing that the whole nation desperately needed now i only know of this story because reverend greer is the great grandfather of the reverend thomas greer long who in 1996 was named by Baylor University as one of the 12 most influential preachers in the English-speaking world, and who for a generation has been one of the most significant teacher of preachers. And while I was never his student formally, his writings and his friendship and his example have taught me more about this act than any other individual I know. And so I realize I'm grateful to the choice of a Union Army chaplain who trusted his teacher, a teacher who was crazy enough to say, love your enemy even on the battlefield. Twitchell trusted his teacher on a Williamsburg battlefield 158 years ago. And I think in a real way, my life is not the same because he did. And I guess in some ways yours isn't either, nor are generations of faithful Christians because he, he did the good that was his to do and let God make of it what God will make of it. We live in, we live in confusing times when often morality is being set aside. We, we live in confusing time when smart people are choosing to engage in celebrations of dehumanization. We live in confusing times when smart people participate Choose to participate in a world of make-believe rather than surrender to the truth, when even the smartest of people worship power to control rather than the power of love. We live in confusing times. And so on the same day that we honor Dr. King's birthday, white supremacists and neo-Nazis will march And I don't know what to do about that. I I don't know what to do about that. But I do know that there is good for us to do. And so I think Matthew would say, apprentice yourself to the voice and life of your teacher. Apprentice yourself to his voice. Choose the good that is yours to do and let God make of it what God will make of it. Trust your teacher and choose the good that you know and let God make of it what God will. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief.